Well, good morning and thank you for that uh, very meaningful and long-standing uh, music focusing on the love of God and it is appropriate as that is our topic today as we look at the attribute of God's love. And if you wouldn't mind making your way to the book of 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4, we will be there in just a moment. But uh, before I begin today's message, I want to um, begin by not pretending that uh, our nation is in a time of distress and um, all of the uh, tension and difficulty that is being experienced across this nation. It's, it's been really, a, uh, in, in so many regards, a tragic and unthinkable time with some of the things that we have seen and we find ourselves in. And it feels like it is only exacerbated by a virus or threat of a virus that uh, causes deep tension and frustration and, and concern and to say nothing of the lockdown that is um, pressing itself a across uh, so many areas in our nation, resulting in, without a doubt, a very serious economic and moral and spiritual impact, uh, to say the least. And uh, it's real, it's where we are. Um, it is important that you, at this time more than ever, have a robust view of the sovereignty of God that he is in control. We may not be in control, as is evident, but God is in control, and he is on the throne, and we do well to remind ourselves of this, and that we trust that in his good time, in his perfect ways, uh, peace will be brought back to our land, hopefully sooner than later, and order will be reestablished. But all of these events that we have seen recently really are a reminder of us, uh, whether we see abuse of power, or whether we see lawless destruction, or whether we see strange sickness, uh, all of this reminds us of what Paul asks in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, where he asks the question, are we better than they? It's important, especially as we look at the activity that we see around us and ask ourselves the question, are we better than they? And Paul answers that for us saying, no, not at all. For we have already charged, he says, that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. See, what we're witnessing today in our nation is a nation that is under sin, a world that is under the burden of sin. And this is just the manifestation of this. We are all under sin. And whether you are a police officer or a protester or a politician, or a pastor. We, you, I, are all under sin. And we suffer the consequences of sin. And ultimately, the ultimate consequence of sin is death, for the wages of sin is death, and it is the wage that we have all earned. But the gift of God, praise God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is our answer. He is our answer during this difficult time. And God is in the process of redeeming a, a lost and fallen humanity, and this just shows how lost we are. But I long for that day in Revelation 5, 9, when we think of all the racism and class wars and 
violence and such. I long for the day, Revelation 5, 9, where they sang a new song. Amen. Worthy art thou, O Lord, to take the book and to break its seal, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for thy God with thy blood men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And, and so we just, uh, we come today obviously with heavy hearts, but obviously understanding that it is the love of God that is the only answer to this situation right now. Paul also says in Romans 13 that uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor. You only harm your neighbor when you fail to love him, for love is the fulfillment of the entire law. And at a time where lawlessness does seem to reign, we have to remind ourselves of the true answer, which is the love of God. Well, with that kind of as a somber introduction, I want to begin speaking on this topic of the love of God this morning. Would you look at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 7, where the apostle writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we come at a time of national and really world upheaval and unrest. And Father, we know that you are at work. We know that you are an all-powerful God with an almighty plan that is working itself out. And we love you and we trust in you for that. And Father, there, there are times where even our own faith may be tested, but Lord, you have promised your love has been set upon us. And we love you in return, for you first loved us, and we love our fellow man as well. And during these times, Lord, let us, let us see what it truly means to love our fellow men, to, to love even the unlovely and the unlovable. And Lord, that is how we are most like you. As we consider the attribute of your love for us, Lord, may we be convicted to our souls this morning. May we grow and, and be strong in love and reflect just even a portion of the love that you have shed abroad in our hearts by the Lord Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, be focusing today on this little topic, uh, little sentence in verse 8, God is love. Now, I'm pleased to speak on the love of God today, but I do have to admit I come to it with a certain level of frustration as it is such a vast, vast topic like we have just sung this morning, the love of God. It was A.W. Tozer who said that 
Um, the love of God, speaking on the love of God rather, is like traveling the globe and visiting every significant city and then coming back home to try to tell your friends about it all in five minutes. <laughs> That's really what the love of God is like because it is so vast, it is such a deep and mighty rolling ocean that to try to pull this off even in one message, and we'll see how, we, we, how far we get today, is, is virtually impossible, but I want to try to at least scratch the surface today. And I want to just begin by saying that the love of God is truly an endearing attribute. It's an endearing attribute. It is probably the most precious, most cherished, most prized attribute of God and most often talked about among men. The love of God is central to our life. It is central to our experience and our relationship, not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with man, as we've already suggested. Love is central to all. Love is the pinnacle of redemptive history. In fact, uh, Redemptive history is grounded, on, uh, grounded rather, on the Mount of Love, Mount Golgotha, which is the greatest manifestation of God's love, as well as justice. It, uh, it is an endearing attribute. If, um, if omnipotence were God's arm, and if, if justice were, were his backbone, and if omniscience were his mind, love would be his heart. And today we're hopefully going to get a glimpse as we journey deep into the heart of God. This is an endearing, endearing attribute to, to all believers. But I will also suggest that this is also a very misunderstood attribute. It's a misunderstood one. Uh, J.I. Packer comments on this, that false ideas about love have grown up around it like a hedge of thorns, hiding its real meaning from our view. And it's no small task cutting through this tangle of mental undergrowth. People really don't understand the, the love of God as they should. And, and for example, some reduce love to a mere sickly sentiment that God kind of has this sappy emotion towards men, a good-natured indulgence, almost a weakness, uh, likening God's love to man's love. And that's all that they would know, not knowing God. Some view love to the exclusion of all other attributes of God. You've seen this. I call this the love hermeneutic. That all we see in the world and all we see in the Bible is through the rose-colored lenses of our love hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is the principles of interpreting Scripture. And so all you, whenever you open the Bible on any page, and so obviously when you have a love hermeneutic, you interpret the Bible completely apart from His justice or his holiness, or even his wrath. Some believe that love is God's only attribute, as if he didn't possess any other attributes. And it comes to strange teachings like um, universalism. All dogs go to heaven. Uh, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? And strange doctrines like annihilationism, which means that there is no hell. And these are taught today. Others have such a faulty view of love, they, they believe that they must earn the love of God. And that if you have to earn the love of God, you must maintain the love of God as well. And this translates to our relationships, does it not? Would not a father, would not a mother who is constantly under the duress of earning 
their creator's love, would that not translate also into how they run and operate a family and how children relate to parents and siblings? And so it's a very, very important topic we have this morning. I want to help us define the love of God. And I want to give you a couple of biblical terms, but before I do that, I want to just mention that God's very nature is love. Now, the Apostle John declares this to us in an interesting way in this text. He just completely comes out and says that God is love. That's who he is. Now, in Scripture, John has also spoken about the nature of God in other respects. He said in John 4.24 that God is spirit. Remember when we studied the spirituality of God? That is, he is non-material, non-corporal, and he is to be worshipped in spirit and truth. He says in 1 John 1.5 that God is light, which gives us understanding, which gives us truth, also speaking of purity and clarity and revelation and insight. And here in 1 John 4.8 we learn that God is love. And it's more than just a characteristic of God. It's more than just an action that he does. It is who he is. God is love. And it's what he is. Now, I just want you to jot down a couple of terms. I don't have them in your notes. I uh, probably should have put them there. But the, the Hebrew word for love is hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it's interesting because both the Hebrew and Greek give us a couple of different nuances of what biblical love is. Hesed is, is known in the scriptures in the Old Testament as a kind love, a, um, an enduring love. It's a gentle love. And uh, the New American Standard translates this word hesed very frequently as loving kindness. I think the old King James does as well. Loving kindness, meaning more than just love, but it's a kindness that is associated with that, a goodness that is associated with this. Um, many Old Testament scholars refer to this love as a sticky love, meaning that once it gets on you, you, you can't get this love off of you. And that's the Old Testament idea of hesed. It's on you. It follows you. The, the, uh, the counterpart, I don't say the equivalent because it's not, but the counterpart is the New Testament Greek word agape. You probably are familiar with agape love. This is the love of choice. It is the love of will. It is a, a, a determined love. It is a principled love. It is a decisional love. And it is a love that is a giving of oneself, the agape love in the New Testament. And so these two words help us with our definition, which we have said here this morning is the attribute of God, love that is, whereby he discloses an intimate knowledge of himself. And he willfully gives of himself for the purpose of a relationship with you and I. God is in the process of, of showing who he is. This is what true love does. True love does not keep oneself quiet and, and quadrant off from another. It actually exposes oneself and then with the purpose of giving and with the purpose of engagement in a relationship. And that's really our definition. And this morning, what I'm going to do is run this little verse, God is love, through a series of aspects and characteristics. We're going to be doing kind of some microsurgery this morning. We're, we're going to be working through this aspect of the love of God. And I have this morning six characteristics of the love of God, which Lord willing, we'll get through maybe a few. But... Uh, 
we want to take time on this one. This is important to really understand the love of God because it is such a dear attribute and it is so marvelously misunderstood in our day. But for now, let's begin six characteristics, six attributes of the love of God, which will bring clarity and really, I think, will be a good test for us, a good test for you and I to see how does our love compare to God's love. Let's begin with the first characteristic in your notes here. The love of God, let's say, first of all, is eternal. It is eternal love. God's love will never wax faint. It will never grow cold. God's love will never flicker. It will never grow dim. And once you learn you have become an object of God's love, you will learn first and foremost that that love is forever. It is forever. It never ends. It is eternal. Now this is hard for us to grasp because man's love is so temporal, right? It is so short-lived. It is so conditional and based on other factors being present. But God's love knows nothing of that. Man loves so long as it is good for him, as things are working out, as long as the emotions remain, as long as the thrill uh, uh, lasts. As long as I remain excited about you and you about me, then we will have love, but we fell into love and we can fall out of love. And this, this is human love. This should not surprise us. Uh, but, but this is not divine love. And man's love is temporary, but God's love is forever. Some scripture that supports this truth is Psalm 103 and verse 17. The loving kindness of the Lord, there's our word, has said, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. This is very interesting. The loving kindness of the Lord. The love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. Does this remind you of a message that we preached earlier on the eternality of God? And Psalm 90, remember when it said, From everlasting to everlasting thou art God? So it would make perfect sense to follow that if God lasts forever then his attributes also last forever. And love here specifically is said, Psalm 103.17, lasts forever. Uh, another interesting text in, in uh, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. Um, Jeremiah speaking of the children of Israel says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And uh, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. That sticky love. I, I stuck it on you and I drew you with loving kindness, the children of God. And again I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. Oh, virgin Israel. You see the intimacy here. You see the closeness here and, and the self-revealing aspect here. Again, you shall take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. And, and here, here a prophet, right? Prophets, I thought they were gloom and doom, but, but here saying that there is goodness in store for the people of God. And you shall plant vineyards and it talks about how you will enjoy them. And uh, he closes off here saying, Arise and let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. 
And, and, and there's just this aspect here that you can just sense his love and sense his intimacy and, and his desire to be with his people. And this reflects this eternal love of God locking on to us and bringing us goodness in this relationship that he has. That's the Old Testament, but does this carry through in the New Testament? Well, it does. And uh, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians for this. Ephesians also speaks of the love of God, and we'll, we'll bounce out of this text a couple of times today. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And look at verse 4 here. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We have a time reference here. We have a reference to some chronology before the foundation of the world. This was a long time ago. Even most conservative scholars say that the earth is probably six to 10,000 years old. So it's longer than that. But it was before the foundation of the world he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now look at this. In love he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Note this, according to the kind intention of his will. This is speaking of that etern eternality of his love, that loving kindness that before, the, before you were born, before I were born, before the world was even formed, God chose us in him in love, he predestined us by the kind intention of his will. And I just, this lesson today is not on predestination. That's an entirely different lesson. That is well worth your study. Please note, though, that the, the doctrine of election and the doctrine of predestination has never been designed by God for the sake of division or disunity or infighting or denominational separation. Not at all. Look at our text here. Election and predestination is according to love and it is according to the kind intention of his will. There's kindness involved in this. And we could say so much more about that. But 2 Thessalonians 2.13 refers to us as being beloved by God. He says, we should always give thanks for you, brethren, beloved by God. That's our name. We are the beloved. And it's God's love that has been set upon us from all eternity. This is an eternal love. And as I leave this point, I just want to say this by way of application. Some of you struggle with this issue of the eternal love of God, and you need not. Some of you struggle with the love of God, asking yourself the question, looking into your past and wondering, how can God love somebody like me? And how can he permanently love somebody like me? And perhaps some of you struggle with the temporal love of man. Some of you perhaps had fathers who did not express the love of God that you have come to know. And so because of poor examples you have seen and lived with, you wrongfully equate your fatherly love with your heavenly father's love. And it is not necessarily the same. In fact, it is most likely not the same. Some of you struggle with acceptance and some of you struggle with family situations and broken relationships. 
But this is a relationship that you can count on from all eternity. So first and foremost, we have to conclude that, that the love of God is eternal. Let's look at another attribute or, or characteristic of the love of God, and that is the love of God is personal. If we haven't guessed by now, we would say that the love of God indeed is personal. God doesn't love these general objects out there. God loves people. God loves you and he loves me. There's a person attached to God's love. Now, we need to explain that there is a general love that God has for the entire world. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Note it, frame it, mark it, remember it. God loves the world. There is this general sense that God loves every single man, woman, and child ever created. This is a fundamental love. This is a, a general goodness that he exercises towards all. We studied the goodness of God last week, and we learned that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, and that is a loving act of God. This love of God is rooted in his image. He has created you and I in his image. He's created man in his image. And so when he sees himself, he loves himself. And by the way, he is the only being in the universe who can rightfully love himself. Uh, all others turn that into self-worship, but God and God alone can love himself. And so when he creates in his image, he sees you and I, and he sees himself in us, and he loves us. And so this is, this is just a reality of Scripture that God loves the world. But there is a specific love, is there not? that only God's children know. And only those who have been adopted into God's family who, who understand a very special love, a unique love, a directed love that is placed upon his precious children. And it's like taking a magnifying glass of that general love of all mankind and it's like, it's like honing in like a laser beam with a magnifying glass. Did you ever do that as kids and you could you could burn leaves, or you could burn grass, or you could burn other objects if you were so devious to, to do that. And, and you could just focus that beam in. There's this general love out there, this general beam, and then you get the, under the magnifying glass. And, and that's really what this personal love of God is. I can illustrate it this way, that I love children. My wife knows that I love children, especially babies. The smaller, the better. I love children, and I love your children. But my children, <laughs> my children have their father's special, special love. And yes, while I, I love and adore all children and love to, especially when they're small enough, you can pick them up and spin them around your finger and bounce them around, but my kids are, are exceptionally special to me. And they bring me a particular joy. And I rejoice over them. In uh, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, we read God speaking of his children. He will exult over you with joy. He will renew you in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. See, folks, we really need to understand our God in this light, that he exalts over his children. Because sometimes we allow the weight and guilt and heaviness of sin to think, oh, he can't be rejoicing over me at this moment. But God's love is eternal, and it's personal, and he exalts over you. And we have to reframe our thinking a little bit. Sin has so undone our wiring 
and cross those signals that we think so improperly sometimes about God. He re will renew us with his love, that verse says. Another prophet, uh, Isaiah, chapter 62. Just note the intimacy here. Isaiah 62 and verse 2. Again, speaking of the people of God, all the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name. You know, we're all going to get a new name. Revelation says that. It's going to be given to us on a stone, and only the recipient of that name will, well, that stone will know what that name is. But we're going to get a new name here, prophesied in Isaiah as well, in which the mouth of the Lord will designate. And then it says, you also will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Do you see yourself this way ever? It will no longer be said of you, forsaken. Not to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you instead will be called, my delight is in her. And your land will be called, married, as if a wedding. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. There's some interesting play on words going on here in Hebrew. It says, uh, you will no longer be called forsaken, Azubah. You will no longer be called desolate, Shemanah. But you will be called delight, Hefzibah. And you will be called married, Beulah. And it's just the image of, of, of intimacy of our God here. And then he says in verse 5, For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. It's very, very important that we have a right view of God. And again, we've, we've come far in this course on the attributes of God. And if we're not careful, we can develop such a high and, and, and transcendent view of God where all we think about is His justice and holiness. But we now begin to think of other attributes of God that are connected to His goodness, His love. John 14, 21 says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love Him and will disclose myself to Him. Christ is in the process of, of self-disclosure. He's showing us Himself. He's showing us the Father. And what He is saying is that if you love me, Christ, you will be loved by my Father. John sixteen twenty seven says, For the Father Himself loves you. I mean, this is such assurance to the believer. The Father, the Creator, the God of heaven and earth loves you. Jeremiah 9.23, you're familiar with this. Let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty boast in his strength. Let not the rich boast in his riches. But if you're going to boast, I'll give you something to boast about, Jeremiah says. Boast in the fact that you understand and that you know me. And that I exercise hesed, sticky love, loving kindness, which draws you to myself.
That's what we boast in. We boast in the loving kindness of God. Now, I could multiply verse after verse after verse. Uh, we would do well to meditate on this. We need to move on. Um, suffice it to say here with the words of, of Packer that God's love is an exercise of his goodness towards individual sinners. That's this point here. Love is personal. It is not a vague, diffused goodwill towards everyone in general and nobody in particular. That's kind of like giving at, at work, I often say. A, a, a general order is a, an order to nobody. A specific order will be carried out, right? If, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a directive that you need carried out, everybody's job is what? Nobody's job, right? Any, anybody in management have ever found this out that you, you give something out, you say, hey, I'd like everybody, and it just doesn't happen. But if you put it in the lap of somebody, then it becomes personal and that they will carry it out. And this is what Packer is saying here. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is not to nobody in particular, rather continuing as being a function of omniscient almightiness. Its nature is to particularize both its objects and its effects. And this is what we get with the love of God. It is an eternal love, it is a personal love, and it is directed towards you and towards me. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue with our third point here. Not only is God's love eternal, not only is it personal, but God's love is volitional. It is volitional. Would you go back to Ephesians there in verse 1, where we read that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself according to the kind intention, we focused on that, but notice this, the kind intention of his will. His will. This is volition we're talking about here. Volition is just a fancy word for a decision. Your will. And we make decisions every day and we are volitional people. But the point being here is love, unlike how many people view it in the world, is not a mere, <clears throat> a mere feeling. It is not a mere emotion. It is not a mere experience. But we learn from Ephesians here that the Father loves you and he loves me because he's chosen to love you and he's chosen to love me. It is a result of his will. It's an act of his will. Note this, God does not love us be because of who we are. He loves us despite of who we are. He loves us regardless of who we are. This is the agape love of choice. Obviously, we're referring to the word agape, which is rooted in the will. We call agape love the love of choice. Now, I'm going I'm to show you something here um, that's, that's pretty fascinating. In, uh, in 1958, C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled The Four Loves. It might be on some of your bookshelves. It's a, it's a wonderful little read. And uh, in this book, C.S. Lewis kind of uh, devotes about a chapter per word here, which you have in front of you here, The Four Loves. And in Greek, because uh, love is such a difficult word to capture, we, we just have one word in English, but in Greek they have four words for love. And they're listed in your notes there. You can just jot down uh, a couple of notes on each one of these. Uh, eros, you might be familiar with. This is the romantic love. We get the word erotic from this love. This is a Greek word, eros, and it, it, it is an emotional love, but it's the love of desire. 
It's the love of passion. It is sensual love. And um, it's, it's often manifested in the intimacy between a man and, and a woman. This is, this is eros. And though the word itself does not appear in the New Testament or the Bible, the idea certainly does. In what book would you suggest we see this concept of eros love? The song, right? The song of songs. The song of Solomon. Which might make you blush to read and certainly make you blush to preach in public. But the Song of Solomon speaks to this issue of this is passionate, powerful love of desire. And it's a real love, part of our humanity. Another love is called storge. It's, it's, uh, it's the love of family, the love of kin. It's a, it's a natural love. Lewis, in his book, called it a built-in love. Uh, kind of a ready-made love. It's, it's there for you. It's, it's that family love. This word also is not in the Bible. Bless you, sweetheart. Uh, th this, this love is, is love of family. It's love of kin. And, and it's very natural to us to love our family. Something's deeply wrong when we don't love our family. This is just natural love. Now we get into a couple of words that do appear in the Bible. And that is the word phileo. This is uh, tender love. This is affectionate love. This is the love of friendship, the love of peers, acquaintances. This is that give and take love that you experience when you have a true friend who has your back and you have their back. This is used in the Bible, but it's never used as a command. It's, it's used in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. And why don't you make your way there? We won't look at this this very second, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, this word phileo is used there. And you'll see why I'm going to take you to that in just a moment here. But it's this word agape love that I really want to center in on here with the, the rest of this point. This agape love is really the highest love. Agape love is the love of choice. We've already said it is the love of will. This is volitional love, principled love. This is unconditional love, unselfish love, ready to serve love, sacrificial love is agape love, and that is the love that we are referring to with the love of God. Now it's very interesting here as we look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. I want to show you some magic that's happening here in the, in the, in the Bible that you wouldn't pick up in the, in the English translations. If you look very carefully, and if you have a, a literal translation, you will see the, the hints of what's happening here. But unless you read this in the Greek, you won't get the full picture here. I'll help you with this today. But we have phileo and we have agape. And you, you now know the difference between these, but watch what happens here. It says uh, in 1 Thess 4, 9, it, it, Paul says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now, first reading, you might just read this and say, okay, love of the brethren, taught by God to love one another, right? Let me walk you through what's really happening here. I'll translate as we go. Verse 9, now as to the phileo love, love of the brethren, Philadelphia, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? For you yourselves are taught by God 
to, can you guess it? Agape one another. You see that? Phileo love is that, that tender love, that affectionate friendship, love of peers and acquaintances. If I don't know you very well, I might just love you because you're a brother and sister in Christ. But it's the agape love that is that highest love, that principled love, that sacrificial love. No greater love has any man that he lay down his life for his friend, not just merely be an acquaintance with his friend. And this is what is happening here. Now, as to the phileo love, I don't have to teach you about phileo love. Why? Because you are taught by God, the God of love. God is love, 1 John, to love one another, to agape one another. This is powerful here. This is very important to understand these, these words here. Now, this happens one more time. If, if you wouldn't mind turning to uh, John 21. God, uh, Jesus teaches a sobering lesson to Peter who is being prepared here in John 21. Jesus uh, has risen from the dead. Uh, Peter has denied him already. And um, this, is the, this is some of the last words that Jesus speaks to Peter. And he wants to make sure Peter, because he's been a spokesman all the time and he's been a leader in the church and leader of the uh, apostles uh, and disciples, rather. And um, he wants to make sure that he understands the, the love of, of Christ here. And so in John 21, it says, uh, in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Omniscience, you know that I love you. What is happening here? Well, we, we need to look again into the Greek words because we would miss this in the English translations. Let me just quickly, with our time left here, walk you through what Jesus just asked him and how he interrogated Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He's changing the words now. Peter was changing the words first. Now Jesus is changing the words. And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you phileo me? Do you see why he was grieved now? 
You, you see what's going on here is Jesus is saying, do you love me, Peter, with the highest love? Are you ready to give all for me, Peter? And Peter's coming back saying, I, I like you, Jesus. We're, we're, we're pals. Do, do you love me? I, I like you. And finally Jesus says, do you like me, Peter? And it's just so sad that Peter, you got to give him, you got to give him points for honesty here. He says, "You know all things. I can't hide from you. I, I don't have that agape love that you're constantly referring to here. I have phileo love for you." And like I said, you give him points for honesty here, but that's as far as Peter could come. And he says, "Then feed my sheep." Well, that was a very, very difficult experience for Peter. But did he come through it? How did Peter turn out in the end, do you know? Well, it's interesting because in 1 Peter, which is written by Peter, it does appear that he got it. Because in 1 Peter 1, 7, he talks about the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. The one who denied Christ said he believed and would go to the ends of the earth with him who denied him now is speaking about true faith, proven faith that is more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire. He says in verse 8 here, And though you have not seen him, here it is, you love him, agape. Peter's now using his Lord's word. He's, he's, he's gone through those tough, tough lessons. And, though, and now he's feeding his sheep. Do you see it? That though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him today, but you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we could talk about the fact that Peter, ever since this time with his Lord, learning the true meaning of love has been feeding his sheep for all generations. Well, we have uh, three more points to get through. Um, we've covered uh, three so far. And uh, I have three other points that really draw out the love of God. And um, unfortunately, you're going to have to come back next week to get those. <laughs> but of all attributes, let's take time on the love of God. Let's really work this through this week, begin to process the fact that God's love is eternal, it is personal, and it is volitional. And though we have not seen him, we do love him with joy inexpressible. I hope that you uh, possess the love of God this morning. I hope that you have been drawn by his everlasting loving kindness and that as a result that you give your life in service and sacrifice to him wherever he would take us. And in this day of trial and struggle, it is this very love that we need to look to the most for peace and security. And um, it is found alone in, in Christ, sent by the Father who loves him from the beginning and who has shed his love abroad in our hearts. Let's pray as we close our service this morning. And why don't we stand? We've been sitting for a little bit here. Father, your word says, In this is love, not that God 
Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Lord, thank you that uh, through your son we can live and that we have eternal life. Thank you that you did reach out to us, that you came to earth and that you gave your life as the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending your son and that you did not hold him to yourself and that he is your only son. And I can't fathom giving up my son, but Lord, you did. And as a result, the world now can be saved through him. Lord, we pray for those who know nothing of what we've talked about today. We pray that we would be ambassadors to them. We pray that the, um, that the lost would not become our enemies, but that they would become our friends. And that we would not see them necessarily as a battlefield, but as a mission field. Help us to always keep them in the forefront of our minds, Lord. We have experienced such wondrous love from you. And may we not be selfish with that. May we share. And may you give us unique ways, which are very natural and, and very becoming of those who call themselves children of light. And may we speak when those opportunities happen. Lord, bless this congregation, beloved by God. Father, show them your love this week. Encourage them and strengthen every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.